find something that you love and you're passionate about. You could just, there's a lot of brands. And then of course you want to find there's good brands and there's not so good brands. So you have to look, you know, what, not only what you love, but look at the economics of it. Is it what you can afford? Is it what's going to bring you the return on investment that you want? Is it going to allow you to own multiple stores if that's what you want? They're going to have availability in the areas that you're looking for. Once you fit those needs and you find the brand that you love, whether it be Tint World or some other brand, that's when you can start your quest. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest today has a wealth of experience in the business world and has been responsible for the growth and success of a franchise company that has become a global brand. He founded America's largest and fastest growing auto styling and window tinting franchise, Tint World, and was also the CEO and founder of Cars Cafe and Auto Parts Network. Under his leadership, his franchise company has grown from a small chain to an international success story. He has an impressive track record of founding and managing large-scale real estate projects in New York and South Florida. Buckle up and get ready to rev your engines because our guest today is driving innovation in the business world. We are honored to have this remarkable individual who has revolutionized the world of franchising and e-commerce. As regarded as having high energy work ethic, but most importantly, he's a real family man. Charles Bonfiglio. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Beautiful. Now, I know you're very passionate about franchises, but I'm curious, where did you grow up and what was the big dream as you ran around the playground? You know, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, you know, we had a humble family. Uh, my father was a clothing manufacturer for, uh, you know, all kinds of, you know, brands, uh, Calvin Klein, Norma Kamali, Jeffrey Bean in New York. And so I grew up uh, through my father's business. I learned about business. Mainly he taught me how to work with my hands and how to work with people. There was a lot of women in this business where they were on sewing machines and there was, you know, factories where we can cut the the the, uh, the materials and push them through the machines and then actually make the garments and then ship them to the, uh, the factories uh, to where they shipped out to all the stores. So yeah, fascination for business very early on. Did you find yourself as a natural follower or more of a leader when you were young? You know, you never really think of yourself when you're that young as a leader. But, you know, growing up, um, I remember specific times where like one time I was in uh, military school and um, actually I was thinking of like not continuing. I wanted to go to a regular public school in Brooklyn and the actual leaders of the school called up my dad and brought me back in. And they said, listen, we don't want your son to leave this school. And that's odd when someone wants to leave that they'd ask them to come back because they only want people that want to be there. Mm. And I, you know, my father says, "Well, why?" He says, "Well, you know, your your son's an, a leader. People just follow him, and they that he's easy to guide them." Um, and I didn't even realize that about myself. I just was being me. But um, I, that's the first time I ever heard that I was a leader. They wanted me to stay. They felt that would be good for West Point, um, which is a very uh, school that'll take you into the military. Um, so that was the first time I ever heard it. And then as we grew along, I just noticed that everything that I was doing was really mind focusing on what I wanted to do and friends that I had would follow me along and support me in my growth. So when you reflect back on that now, what do you think that were the characteristics that 
uh, made you a bit of a magnet in a way. So people would would be connected to you, your kind of gravity as a leader. You, what sort of traits do you think they were or still are? You know, again, again, I didn't know it at the time, but I always had something that I was passionate about, whether it was just starting to work out with, you know, with weights in, in a gym. And I just, I did it because I wanted to, whether my friends were going to do it or not. I started to learn how to dance um, early at that time in, in the late 80s. There was um, disco hustling was the thing. And I didn't want to tell my friends because if they saw that I was dancing, you know, you get teased. So as a teenager, but I just went to the dance studios without them even knowing. Lo and behold, a couple of years later, when I'm about 16 years old, they had a dance contest at the local church. And I picked a girl around the corner that was friends with me. And I trained her in my basement with knowing knowing. Um, about how we were dancing, and then I just showed up at the um, at the uh, at the dance contest, and we just went and did it, and nobody even had a clue. From that point on, all of a sudden, everybody was looking at me, saying, "Hey, Charles, how do I learn how to dance? What what did how'd you learn that?" So, like, these are things that you do on the side that you just do really well, and then people notice it and they want to be part of it. You know, there's something really attractive about people that are passionate about something, and and it's, it's they've kind of got this level of confidence that no matter what they'll be okay and they're not worried about other people i mean obviously yes you you kind of showed a bit of worry there around what people might think if you're dancing etc but you still had that it seems like you had that sense of confidence of you know what i'm just going to back myself i enjoy this I, I don't really care too much what other people think this is just who i am and what i love doing yeah, I mean, my father used to tell me stories when he met my mother when they were young. And they told me how they danced. And I thought that would be really interesting. But, you know, I, I was, you know, you go to your friends and you're in Brooklyn and you're out in the streets of Brooklyn and you don't want to tell your friends that you're going to go dance. So I just did it on my own. I just thought this was really cool. And lo and behold, it wanted to be something that was really good for me because even then, as the uh, the dance studio started open and then the club started going it was a really good way to meet other people. And I didn't realize, I always thought it would be good to meet, you know, girls and other people, but you wouldn't believe how all the guys would really yield to me and come and say, Hey, you know, how do you do this? Maybe you could teach me that they really got excited about it. So it really is something, if you do something that you love and you're passionate about and you just focus on what you're going to do, I just didn't want the outside noise, but it actually will pop through and people will start looking at what you're doing, whatever it may be, and, and they seem to admire it if it's something that you're passionate about. Even if it's something that they're not passionate about, they're interested because you have done something that you want to do, um, regardless how controversial it may be uh, from a young guy in Brooklyn dancing in a dance studio. Yeah. And so obviously you spend a lot of time understanding the business with your father and sort of being involved there. Outside of that, what, what was your first job? So... You know, growing up in, in uh, high school, um, even in junior high school, I started to work for my father, started sleep, sweeping the floors. And I wanted to learn. I was very curious. It was very easy for me to go to my father's factory and see every different position that was being done there. And again, starting with sweeping the floors, making a few bucks a week, going to, hey, dad, who's the guy that's fixing the machines, the sewing machines? Every week he comes in, changing the bobbins and, 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 the, uh, and, the, and fixing the machines, changing the needles out for all the machines. How much does he make? And he would tell me, and wow, that's that's pretty good. I think I could do that. And then after I, I mastered that, I was like, what's the guy doing over there with the material? He's cutting the material and the patterns out. Well, that's a patent maker. Well, how much do they make? And he told me, I want to do that. It was more money. <laughs> and then uh, so I just kept on finding, you know, other areas and I learned every aspect of the business. And I just found that where is the most money for the least amount of work and the most amount of upside? And um, lo and behold, I really did really well in learning his business. At the same time, being a teenager, I love cars. And a friend of mine had an older brother that had a car stereo shop that when I got my first car, I used to bring it there and I started to learn how to install car stereos by being around there just for fun on the weekends. He would say, hey, Charles, do me a favor. I have a customer over there. Can you help him with some speakers and put that amplifier in? And I just did it for fun. It wasn't really my job. It was just something I was passionate about. And I got very known for, you know, doing car stereos and having this really loud thumping system. <laughs> and that really led to people asking me to do their cars. I never really thought about being a business. I just thought it was really cool and I loved doing it. But I did that while I was working for my dad. When I got out of high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't even think there was, I thought the, the reason why you would go for college 
is if you were going to be a doctor or a lawyer or some profession that you really need to learn. I really didn't want to do that. I just always felt my father was in business. I should be in business. So when I got out of uh, high school, I just, you know what? I already knew my father's business. I opened up one of those. And I thought, I don't just want to be a contractor. Not that it was just a contractor, but I was mesmerized by when I brought my father to New York City. And I'd see all the billboards with, you know, Calvin Klein and all these. And I said, Dad, why can't we own our own brand? He goes, Charles, that's not my area of expertise. If you want to do that, I'll teach you what I know and you can do that. So that's when I opened up my factory and I, I created my own designer line for uh, young teenage girls. It's called a Missy Wear. And I designed my own clothing line and I started to sell it in um, in clothing stores around Brooklyn, Long Island. And um, I actually wound up getting a million dollar order from a, a department store. Happens that that time I really couldn't fulfill the order. I mean, just to be able to fulfill the order back then, it would have cost me half a million dollars for the material and making and shipping it. And there was all these rules that you have to wait time before you get the money. So I had to like not be able to accept that order. And it taught me something. I mean, there was no shark tank like there is today. Hey, Damien, can you please, you know, uh, here's my order. Can you fulfill it? There's nothing like that back then. So it was all about, you know, how do you get from here to there? And that really made me very interested in finding out how do you really go and grow um, from someone who was just a kid from Brooklyn. And um, so I, my father taught me the skills that I can take me to where he was. But he wasn't going to give me the skills that I needed to go to where I wanted to be. Hmm. And that led me to further growth. Um, so I built the clothing factory. I did that for a couple of years. I also um, went partners with my brother-in-law in a pizzeria restaurant in New York City. We did that for a year. And then I realized the lease ran out and they wouldn't renew it. So I learned more things. You had to really worry about the contracts, the leases. How do you build your future? So after that was done, I um, I told my father, I said, Dad, I want to now start doing something that I really love. He goes, what do you love? I said, I think I love opening up my own car stereo shop. I want to build that, and I don't want to really do it in Brooklyn. I want to, I, I, in my mind, as a, as a 21-year-old, a I, I thought I want convertibles, palm trees. So I wanted to move to South Florida and open up a business and live that life and do custom car stereos and aftermarket accessories. And that's how I um, I really wanted to go. So I sold my clothing factory, my pizzeria. I lost the lease. So I made some money, but I wasn't able to continue. And that's when I set out to move to Florida. Um, just I sold all my, my things. I had a, a Corvette at the time. It was a 1981 Corvette. Um, and it was really nice. I loved it. But I sold that to have the funding to be able to move to Florida along with the other money I you know, made along the way to basically start a business. And it wasn't something that I would go to my dad and say, what do I do next? It was me going down with the knowledge that I had to figure it out myself. So two suitcases, one-way plane ticket to Florida. At 21 years old, I found myself in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, setting up myself in an apartment with a four-year-old Ford EXP, big downgrade from my Corvette, but I didn't care. I was all about building my business, and that's how it started. Uh, and I went looking around for a business, and it started from there. Oh, what a great story! Uh, I love the way that um, you, you just you are extremely curious and fascinated about about business, and then learning something and pushing the boundaries, and, and then having that courage to kind of step out and go, "Hey, you know what? Dad can't give me any more here, so it's now <clears throat> now time for me to." you know, figure it all out for myself. What a great moment. And I'm sure your dad is very proud of you. He is, he is. Yeah. And so moving down to Florida, did you, have, you, have you always stayed there since or you've managed to move around? No, I, I'm still in Florida now um, and going to look for my first business. So once I have myself set up in an apartment with an old beat up car, with about $30,000 in the bank to be able to use to build my business. I felt I needed about 80 to fill my business plan. So I went to the bank and I said, you know, I really need a loan um, to fill, to build this business. Here's my business plan. And they said, well, I'm sorry, we don't really have any loans for that kind of a business. We only loan to existing business. I said, well, how do you get started? Mm. I said, I know what I'm doing. I had two businesses in New York and I just want to build this new business. And they said, well, we just don't have a loan. So I I thanked the lady in the bank and I said, let me think about it and I'll come back. And I said, you know what, maybe if I go find a lease somewhere, I can figure it out a little faster. So I went looking around. I found the place I really wanted to lease. It was an auto center 
And in there, there was a couple of brands. There was there was a Lee Miles transmission, a Jiffy Lube, and another auto shop. And there was a, an end cap that was available. So I went to the landlord and I said, I want to open up a car stereo shop. I like this location. And he said, no, we really don't want to rent to that. I go, why? He goes, well, we only go for brands, like existing businesses that want to grow. I'm like, but I know what I'm, he goes, no, we just don't want that. We don't, they didn't think of a car stereo aftermarket as a brand, as a first mm -hmm. store. So I, I thanked him um, and I said, let me think about it. I'll come back to you. I, um, so from that point, I really was getting no from the bank. I was getting no from the landlords and I had to think about how am I going to get them to trust me and grow my business. So while I was down in Florida for a few months, figuring this all out, um, my mom called me and said, listen, we have a family wedding in Brooklyn. Why don't you come back to New York and see all your cousins just for a weekend and you can get to see them? I said, okay, mom, I'm going to do that. So I flew back to New York while at the, the, you know, the family wedding, all my cousins were there it was a pretty big event. And one of my cousins said to me, what are you doing in Florida? And I told him what I just said to you. I'm having to figure it out. I couldn't get it going yet. But I said to him, what are you doing? He goes, well, about a year ago, he moved to New Jersey and he opened up a franchise. Said, franchise? What's a franchise? At that time, I didn't even know what that is. Like a McDonald's? He goes, yes, yeah, sort of like that. He goes, it's a company. They give you a blueprint. They give you, they help you get funding. They help you find a location and get a lease. And so we've done one and we're already doing really well. Him and his brother, they bought a house each in New Jersey. They both bought new cars. And they were doing well. He says, you know what? After the wedding, after the week before you go back, why don't you come out and see my place and I'll show it to you and see if it's good for you. I said, that sounds great. So I went over to my dad right at the wedding. I said, that Monday, you want to come and see this place for me? He was sure. So on that next Monday, we drove out to New Jersey and I pulled up and it was a Meineke discount muffler shop. Has smiling muffler on the building, a gravel parking lot. Wasn't really what I wanted to open. However, my cousin was busy. I walked in, there was people at the counter, and he was selling, oh, cat back. Joe, put the cat back on that system, you know, and sign right here. And I was like, wow, they look, they're having fun at it, and they're doing well. So I stayed there for the morning and went to lunch with my, my cousin, and he told me about the business and the opportunity, and he gave me the business card. He said, listen, if you're interested, give them a call. Maybe, maybe it'll be good for you. So on the way home, on the drive back with my dad, um, he said, I think this will be good for you. They'll give you a blueprint and they could support you. I said, but that is not what I want to do. He goes, but Charles, you can build this and learn how to do business from a bigger company. And then you can do what you want later on. Mm. I thought about that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to fill out the paperwork. Called Meineke, filled out the paperwork. A couple of weeks later, I got a letter in the mail saying, you've been preliminary approved for a franchise. Next steps are dot, dot, dot. And so from there, I think I'm going to use this letter as a way that they're accepting me, maybe the bank will give me the funding for the business that I want. So I went back to the bank and I saw the same girl in the bank. I said, look, I got approved by Meineke as a franchise, but I don't really want to open that. Would you give me the money for the other business? If they approve me, you should. And she was like, well, no, um, we can't approve it for other business, but we have a special loan for franchising. It's an SBA loan that we can get you approved. And here's the paperwork. I'm like, wow, they were going to give me yes for the franchise, but no for the one I did. Still wasn't sure, but I took the paperwork and I said, well, maybe I can use this letter to get the landlord to approve me in the spot that I wanted. Mm -hmm. So I'm back to the landlord. I said, hey, Mr. Landlord, I said, hey, I have this letter. I, I got approved by Meineke, but I, so you could see that I have the wherewithal to do it. They approved me, so you should approve me for the lease, but I really want to open up this. I said, well, no, Charles, we don't want that, but we love Meineke. That's a really big brand name. If you do that, We'll give you the end cap. We'll do a build out for you. We'll give you some free rent. And we'll help you out. Here's a copy of the lease. See if Meineke will approve us. I'm like, wow. So I was getting yes, yes, yes as a franchise, but no for what I wanted to build of my business, the way I wanted to build. So I went back and again, my dad was always my sort of consultant that, what do you think? He says, Charles, you know, if you have the opportunity here, you could keep searching, take the path of least resistance, and then you could build what you want. I said, okay. So called up Meineke. I signed the franchise agreement. I wound up getting the lease, getting the first door open in a few months. I went to training, got the, everything done, and I launched my first franchise. Oh, what a story. Uh, it's great. And, and I can really feel your passion in regards to franchises because if I think about a lot of people who want to go into business, they always want to create their own thing. And it's a real struggle, right? They don't know how whether that business is going to work or or how it operates, what's the blueprint, etc. It can be pretty pretty hit or miss for a lot of people. 
And so I can really see that the franchise is a great way for people that you know, may not want to be an employee anymore, but want to start a business. What a great approach. Yeah. And um, so at that time, I got about a year under my belt in the franchise. And I told I was dating my wife who was going to college in Florida at the time. And so running the business, she started coming and spending time doing the book work in the back, doing the payroll. I was good with the sales, marketing and operations and running the business. So after about a, I told her when I get successful in my business, we will get married. So during that first year, we got married, went on a honeymoon, went to Hawaii, came back. I bought a townhouse. Now it's just about a year I'm in business and all this good stuff's happened. And I go to my wife, my wife's name is Jeanette. I said, Jeanette, I said, you know, we, we built this business. I'm doing really well now. We came down to Florida. We did everything I said, but I really want to go out and buy a brand new Corvette, a convertible so I can live my dream and we could drive home with the palm trees along the beach every day. We can go to work and drive. Home. She says, Charles, you know, I, I, we're really doing great. And thank you for all you're doing for us. But, you know, I'm doing the books and I can tell you, if you want that, you might want to open up another one of these. I go, okay. I picked up the phone. I called up Meineke. I want another franchise. They gave me a franchise license. I opened up store number two a few months later. And within six months, I was already doing as well in store number two as it was in number one. So I went back to my wife and I says, Jeanette, I says, you know, well, here we are. We got the second store open. Looks like we're doing the same. How about now? Can I, can I go buy the car? You know, she's doing the books. She's going to tell me. She goes, Charles, Go order your car. <laughs> so I went out and I ordered a brand new black with red interior Corvette um, back then. And it came in and I put a custom car stereo in it. And I was happy as anything. And uh, so that was the next step. And then about two years later, now we're doing really well. I'm driving my Corvette. Not that I only bought a Corvette with that extra, but I just really was a very simple guy. The first bucket of the first store of income was living our life. Second bucket was to buy the car and have an extra money for we started traveling once every quarter and we lived like rock stars. We go to work and we go travel and we have a great time together. We didn't have kids together for years later. So two years after the second store was built, I started to think I wanted to grow again. And she goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, you know, I'm, buying, I'm leasing all these places for these businesses and really would like to I want to get my general contractor's license and I want to build my own building, the perfect building that I see that it should be, not these rental that I got to make it work. And she goes, well, Charles, if, if you want to do that, you might want to buy another one of these. I go, okay. I picked up the phone. I called my one of the license. So they gave me the franchise and I had my third store open about a year later. I'm just doing as well in the third store as I am in the first two. So I go to my wife. I said, so are we good now? She goes, yep. Use that that store income to grow your real estate business. I said, okay. So I really didn't know exactly how to do the real estate business. I just thought I knew. But I wound up having a customer come in, a um, guy by the name of Howard. And Howard just got out of uh, college and he was went to college for financing. And he was working for these big building developers in Miami and doing financing for building these high rises, but he didn't have a lot of money because he had all these bills from college that he had pay. And he came into me one time as a customer with uh, the exhaust system was dragging on his sob. And he came and goes, oh, he goes, please help me out. My, my systems, I don't have a lot of money, but my sisters are on the floor. I said, the, the exhaust system's dragging. I go, let me look. He says, how that car, all the pipes are like Swiss cheese. You need a whole system. He goes, oh, I can't afford that. I don't, we can just do anything. Now, typically, I would say to a customer, I'm sorry, I really can't help you. Maybe you can try somewhere else. But for some reason, I just wanted to help the guy. I just felt, I don't know, I just said, okay. So I put the car in the lift, and my, my technicians wouldn't even work on it. They were like, no, I ain't touching that thing. If you're not going to put a new system on, I'm not going to do it. It was all rusty, and the pipes had holes in it. So I just spent like a, several hours in the car trying to weld it, and it was melting because it was so rotty. I started taking, you know, muffler pipe and cutting them and sleeving it on and trying to weld it. I patched it as good as I can. I brought the car out. It was okay, but I couldn't guarantee it. I said, listen, I got it hanging on the system. It's not dragging anymore. You could probably make it home and maybe it'll last for a while, but I'm not going to even charge you because I don't even know how long it's going to last. You really need a new system. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So he left and I said, do me a favor. Whenever you need any work, go to my competitors. Don't come back to me. Um, but he was thankful and he left. And um, so with that, a couple of months later, Howard pulls, drives into my business. 
I said, what are you doing here? He goes, well, my brakes are messed up and da, da, da. how the brakes on a Saab are very expensive. It's grinding. It, the, 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 these calipers wrote, I said, listen, I don't know if I can help you. Charles, I only have so much money. What could you do to help me? So I said, well, if you want, I can find out where there's used parts in a junkyard and maybe you can buy them and I can use those, but I don't really want to get too involved. He goes, well, just help me find the parts. So I spent some time calling around junkyards and finding all those parts. He went and he bought them. He brought them back to me and I said, I'll put them on for you. And I started to put them on. Um, I got the car going and um, so he left and I, I didn't even charge him because they were used parts. I just, I don't know why he just had something about him that I would just do things for free for him. And I just said, okay, how you're done. He goes, I promise you all the guys, the wealthy guys in Miami that I'm building, I'll, I'll tell them all to come to you. And they did. He sent some people in. I was doing all their cars and doing their brakes and their exhaust on them, but I didn't make any money with him. I just kind of felt like I had to help him. So, but I told him again, please, when you have another problem, go to my competitors, don't come back to me. Um, and so uh, a few months later, I see him driving the parking lot. I'm like, oh, oh, here he goes. So he comes into my lot and he comes to, I said, what do you want now, Howard? He says, nothing. I just want to take you out to lunch. I really? He goes, yeah. I said, all right. So I told my wife, she was doing the books in the back. And I said, you know, I got to have three stores this time. I said, hon, I'm going to go out to lunch with Howard. I go out to lunch. We sit down at lunch and he goes to me, Charles. I see you got these three Meineke stores. You're doing pretty well. You're driving a Corvette. At this time, several years later, I bought a, a condo on the beach that my wife and I were living on. I said, because you have all these good things. Why don't you go out and buy your own property and build your own building? I said, Howard, I always wanted to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm ready to do it. I really just don't know exactly how to do it. I'm trying to figure that out now. He goes, well, I can help you with that. I said, really? He goes, yeah, that's what I do. I said, okay. So he says, when we go back to the shop, my store, he says, let's get some profit and loss statements from your wife and I'll look at them so I can actually help you plan it and then I'll get you financed on it. I said, really? He goes, yeah. So we go back to the store and he looks at my P&Ls. My wife pulls them out and he goes, wait, what's going on here? Well, it doesn't look like you got to be making a lot more money than this. I said, I do well. He goes, well, how do you work your money? I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, at the end of the week, all your money, what do you do? How do you run it? I said, well, all the checks and credit cards, they go into the bank, all the cash I take and I put in an envelope and I bring it home and I put it in my safe. He goes, what? He goes, why do you do that? I, go, I don't know. My father did that. So I just did that. And I figured you don't pay taxes as much if you put the money in the safe. He goes, no, that's not the way to do it. I go, what do you do? He goes, you put every dollar you have into the bank and you get a credit card for the business and all your expenses for your car, um, your travel, your entertainment, your dining, a large portion that you can write off so you won't pay taxes. But the banks, when they go see your, your financials, they'll know that you have that much money coming in. I said, really? He goes, yeah, let me show you how to do it. So he gave me a blueprint of how to do this. And I did this for a bank. He goes, after we get your, 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 your finances straight, we'll go and build your business. He goes, for this year, I want you to put all the money in the bank and do everything I said and spoke to my wife and I, consulted with us. So I got to be pretty knowledgeable about how to do financing. So a year later, I call him up. Howard, I got my tax returns. Come take a look. He comes over, looks at the tax returns. Beautiful. We're ready to go. He goes, I'm going to come over and see you on Saturday. And we're going to go for riding your Corvette, looking for a location that we can buy and build your building. I said, great. Um, he just wanted to ride in the Corvette convertible. And I was happy to do it. So um, I, the way I found out where I want to buy a store is I, I, would, I really didn't have the real estate knowledge at the time. So I actually called up all the people I know in all the different businesses, not just Meineke, but I go Meineke, Midas, Goodyear, Firestone, all the brands. I knew all the owners and all the managers of all the stores. So where's the busiest store you have? I asked every one of them, this area, this area. So the area that they all said they have the busiest store that they all wanted to work in, I said, let's go over there, Howard. I'll find the store in that area. So we uh, got in the car, we drove, we found a lot that a sign was just put up for, for uh, sale. And um, so we got the number, Howard called up right in the car and um, we went and we just, he called up and we basically made an offer on the property. They accepted the offer subject to city approval and building permit, put a deposit. He got me the finance approval. I got everything approved. And I said, well, how am I gonna build it? He goes, I got a friend. I'm going to connect you with a friend of mine that's going to help you build it. And he's for 10% of the project cost, 
He's going to help you get your general contractor's license. He's going to help you bid out the project. And he's going to overlook the project build so it goes done right. And he uh, got, found me an architect and everything. So I wound up building the largest Meineke ever built. Uh, it was a 10-bay shop at the time. And that was my first building. And when I opened it up, it did so well that that was the first Meineke that ever did over a million dollars in the first year. And it was a huge success. And I loved it more than any of the other businesses I've ever opened. And that's how that's how I got into the real estate business down in Florida. <laughs> so you've got, you now built your building um, for use and you you now you own your own building. You've still got franchises. But where was the transition to then owning your own business to then start building it out and franchising out uh, you know, for other people to come and be a part of of your brand? Well, I really, I still didn't really felt I have the capability at that point. But after I had the three locations and the one new one that I owned the property on, I loved it so much that I wound up buying more properties and building more buildings. And the last Meineke building that I built was in 2001. It opened up. That was about my 10th location. And it was the big, every one was bigger than the next. This one was an 18 bay shop, 10,000 square feet. And it was the first mining to ever do over $2 million in sales. But along that road, um, I started to really get involved with the franchisor. They took notice that I was doing really well. I was expanding services. I became a test center for adding more services on. Um, and uh, they, they actually, I became a trainer, one of their trainers at their annual conventions. Other franchisees aspired to do the things that I was doing. And um, so in, early, in the early 90s, at one of the conventions, Meineke came and there was at least 600 franchises there. And Meineke basically came out and they said, this is a Radio Shack computer. Computers were just new at the time. And there's a dot matrix printer. And we're getting customer calls from the uh, the customer service department, complaints that the, the handwriting on the invoice is sloppy. They can't read them. So we want to use this computer to type out you know, and print out invoices in a very neat way. But we also want to basically use this to figure out how we can make this tool help us build the business better so we want somebody to be the chairman of our technology computer committee does anybody want to do that and all the friends i was the young guy there all the older guys were like, no we don't want no computers i'm like i'll do it bonfiglio come up to the office come in so they brought me up and they said in front of everybody we're going to give you a computer for all your stores we want to have you meet with us on a call on a weekly basis and we're going to put you in touch with our software developer and then on a quarterly basis, you come up to, to corporate and you know explain to us everything that you're doing so we can know how we can build this for the whole company. I said, great, I love it. Now, I didn't think that was as big of a thing that it was, but to me, that was probably the thing that took me the furthest because at one point you start realizing that this computer, when you get the customer database in there, you get the product database in there, uh, you know, I'm dealing with the marketing department, I'm dealing with the technology department, I'm dealing with the vendors. And I started to create, like, okay, we want all our products in here so I can actually put all the inventory in. So I started meeting all the owners of all the manufacturing distributors of our products. I met with the marketing department so I can take the customer information and use that. Again, earlier on, it was postcards. I can print out the labels and send out postcards. Then it became emailing and then it became tying it to the website for appointment scheduling. And then it became the reports for commissions for technicians and your daily report, your weekly reports. And all the things that you need to run a business, I evolved into doing that. And by working on the computer, I really start to work with all the branches of the franchise. And they would fly me up every quarter. And I was a young buck. I'd come up there. I was so excited. I'd sit at this big boardroom table, all the C-level execs and a couple of other franchise committee members. And they would say, Charles, what do you want to do now? I said, well, I got these 20 items. And I just gave you all printouts. I want to do this, this, and this. Like, Charles. We appreciate your enthusiasm, but we, we only want to do this. I'm like, but what do you mean you only want to do this? We got to make this thing great. I want to really build this thing. And they said, yeah, well, you know, we just want to do this. I'm like, all right, well, well let's do what you can. So from that point, I started to like get a little discouraged, but I became more and more friendly with the uh, company that was building the software. So the owner, I started to guy said, listen, I know Meineke only wants to do this. But if you want to sell this thing to other brands, you're going to need these things, whether they want it or not. So we'll just do these things on my computer and whether they want it or not, just add them in. And he said, yeah. 
So he started building all the tools and the systems and the process and reporting that I wanted. And lo and behold, I really started to learn how to develop software and systems. And that led into really understanding the franchise a lot better and how to operate it and what the franchise wanted. Because at the same time I was building it on the annual conventions, I was standing up in front of the franchisee saying, this is how it works. This is what you do. I was in front of the, the board showing them all the printouts, the new stuff that was coming. I wound up migrating all the franchises over to a point of sale system and expanding their categories within the system based on my knowledge of how I built this thing and how I was running through my locations as the largest franchise in the company as far as the unit size and growth. So with that, um, in 2001, I built my last store. I had a lot of knowledge under my belt, but there was some changes in the system with Meineke at that time. Um, you know, they, um, they started a big venture capital company and invested into it. And they started changing all the corporate people. And I, I was losing touch with them. And they started to make the computer committee less important than it was. And um, they, with all these changes, I felt like I, I didn't have any, any growth anymore. Like I, I would do this for nothing, build a point of sale. It was just like a hobby of mine. Mm. Uh, so in 2005, I told my, I was ready to open up more stores. Every few years, I'd open up another store. And I went and I told my wife, I said, I just don't want to open up any stores anymore. She said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to build the business I always dreamed of. I want to build a car stereo and accessory business. I said, but at this point in my life, I just can't build one. That's nothing for me. I want to build a franchise system. Because if I love this business that I'm going to build, other people are going to want it too. So I can probably scale better. So she goes, well, go ahead and build it. So from that point, I rather than start from scratch, there was a, a really cool friend, a business, a local business down in Florida called Tint World. The guy opened up the first store in 1982. By the time we got to 2005, he had six locations. Now, they were smaller. They were on a shoestring budget, but they were kind of franchisey looking. And he was doing well for a long time. So I figured, well, if I could buy this thing, put computers in it, systemize it, brand it better, and spread the categories a little bit out more, I think it can be really good. And I'll have a good name. So I called up that owner and I said, let's go to lunch. I want to talk to you. And a lot of people knew who I was at that point. I was pretty big in the community. So he said, oh, Charles, yeah, I'd love to go to lunch with you. So I went out to lunch and I told him, I want to buy your business. Are you interested in selling? He goes, yeah, I, I'd sell it. I said, give me a number. We talked a little bit. We worked the deal out within a month or two. And I bought the rights to the brand and the name. And from that point um, in 2006, I filed trademark application all over the country, every country just about. And I, uh, I, I wanted to build a franchise for myself, so I wrote the franchise system. I tried to hire consultants, but they didn't understand everything I wanted. It was more work to explain to them about the system than it was to just write it myself. Hmm. So I, um, I, I hired a consultant that gave me a templated franchise document, franchise FDD, which is a franchise disclosure document to understand the compliance. I also wrote the franchise um, operations manual, franchise agreements, and the franchise brochure and built the franchise website all within 2006 to 2007. And uh, in 2007, we launched franchising and we awarded our first three franchises, which brought us from six store to nine stores. And, um, and that's how I started franchising. And so where are you, you know, for, what, what did you learn during that time? You know, obviously you, you've gone through, you've worked inside, um, you know, as a franchisee, now you're working with, uh, now you're kind of owning a company, you've got franchisees. What did you learn during that process and, and actually being on the other side of the, of, of the playing field, so to speak? Um, now that you're dealing with well, the franchisees? Well, you know, you know, typically as a franchisee, you're looking at it from a franchisee looking at the franchisor. And a lot of franchisees like, I don't like this and I don't like that. And they make me do this. Or, and I just found out the people that complain about the system rather than embrace the system for what it is and add your own personal label on it and, 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 and advance beyond that, those were the ones that are being successful like I was. Um, and so I really got to know all the top franchisees, why they did really well, and all the ones that weren't doing so well. And again, training them every year, you know, sometimes you have people to push back. So I got to know uh, personalities and how to deal with them. And you just can't fight everybody. You can only try to 
inspire them, will them, and not push them further than their comfort level. So I really got a good way to work with people in, in the franchise. And I liked a lot of the things that Meineke did as a franchise. And like you, when you become a franchisee and you're really helping them build it, you start to become a connoisseur of the brand. Okay, here's what I like about the brand. But if they did this, this, and this, I think it would even be better. Um, but again, you can't get them to do everything you want to do. So I just put my money where my mouth is. And I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this thing. Everything they did well, I'm going to write into the system. Everything that I think that I want to do better, I'm going to add that in. And I didn't just do it blindly. I really started to submit and get all different franchise disclosure documents from all different brands. I uh, Every single automotive brand, I read them that was a franchise. But I said, you know what? There's an element to when I looked at um, food restaurants, whether it be a McDonald's or be a Burger King or any other kind of a fast food, they were more structured where they had a really unique, similar look. Sim they had the same cups, the same straws, the same food. The distribution was more streamlined as in the auto industry. So I said, if I can kind of learn what they're doing in the food industry to streamline the system, and I can put those systems into an automotive service business, it seems like these are just too loose. I got to tighten them up. So I really put all, I took the elements of food restaurants that I thought were more tighter, and I implement them into the franchise uh, that I was building, along with all the other goodnesses that I found from other you know, Goodyear, Firestone, all the different ones. So I, the baseline was the Meineke system. And then I morphed that into what I felt was from all the other things I was reading. And I implemented the system. And that's when I wrote the brand. But writing the brand and actually having it in there and then facilitate all that growth with six to nine stores is not going to really get you there really quickly. The good news is that I sold all my Meineke franchises that I had that were leased properties, except for and even though some of the um, properties that I own, I just kept the two biggest stores that were giving me the most amount of profit. So while my wife was overlooking those businesses with my general managers running the stores, it allowed me to focus on just building the, the franchise business. And um, so I actually took one of the stores we had for Tint World. I put a training center in the back, um, a corporate uh, center for bookkeeping and stuff. And I made that the model store. So when franchise were in, franchisees were interested in buying one, um, I would bring them there and I would show them what the model was and I would train them there. But I did everything myself. I The way I built the first 20 to 30 stores was it was just me. I would write the system, sell the sales, uh, have them come in, negotiate the leases for them, help to do their grand opening, their initial orders uh, for all their equipment. All this inventory, I would go to their grand openings. I would train them, train their employees. I did everything just myself as if I was a partner with them. I really wasn't a partner, but that's all I had was me and one bookkeeper. And so I did everything myself. After I got to about 20 stores, I started realizing I need some more people. <laughs> and so um, the biggest thing I was saying, what's my biggest pain point? I want to get better buying power for my franchisees. So I hired a vendor manager to negotiate really good deals on the products to be able to get streamlined, better pricing. I know that franchisees love to get the best pricing. So that was a good thing. As far as the marketing, I did all the marketing myself. I'm, I'm, I was always helping with Meineke's marketing through the point of sale. I learned a lot. So I did all the digital marketing and all their paid search and all their uh, design work, the brochures and everything in the store I designed. And it just it just evolved. And I didn't want to grow the franchise brand too fast. I didn't want to grow, you know, too fast because it was only me and I didn't want anybody to fail. But I know if I only opened up a few stores a year, if there was one or two that had turbulence, I can fly there or go there and spend a week or two and get them all straightened out. I, did, I felt if they failed, I failed. Mm -hmm. And that's all I cared about. It wasn't the money. My money was coming in from my other businesses. I kept those other businesses till 2014. Then when I started to scale, I wouldn't say scale, but start to grow a little better and add more people, I actually bought, I, I actually rented a large corporate office, which is really where I'm at right now. I've been here since, um, but now we're ready to build a bigger office. If you see the one of the pictures in the background, that's a building that we're building. It's a spec. Um, so we're going to be moving there in, within a year. It's under construction. But I stayed here and I started filling up the office for people. I needed a marketing department. I needed, um, I needed a, a training department. I needed to have um, an operations team that would go out in the field so I can focus on growing the business. So over the course from 2007 
2019, we got to a point where I felt the system was good enough. When I say good enough, it was it's always going to get better, but it was as good as a system of every brand I read and everything I wanted to build. And it was predictable. They were opening up. They were getting profitable within the first six months or so. They were getting um, very successful by the year two. And I wasn't having failures. They were really good. And they were happy. So if, the, if the brand along the way wasn't right for somebody, rather than let it to them to figure out how to sell it, call me. I helped you get in. If you want to sell it, hope you get out. And so I, there's nobody that ever left the system that I'm not friends with today. We have no litigation with any franchisees, thank God, because all my job is to help them build the business of my dreams if they wanted that too. And so now we have a team and the people that I hire in my corporate office, they're not all franchise people. They're people that have a good skill set, whether it's in marketing, sales, operations, uh, you know, finance, um, um, real estate development. All these people have the heart. They get it. They want it and they have the ability to do it. And I train them to do those positions and they have to have the mind that the franchisee is first. Without them being successful, we're not successful. If they're successful, we have less pain points, less problems because they're happy and they're growing. And so will we. And so that was my motto. And that's what I did. But in 2020, pre-pandemic, I set out to start scaling the company, not opening 10, 20 stores a year, but I want to open up 30, 40, 50 stores a year and grow it. Um, and to do that, I had to really refocus my, now that I had a big staff, I wanted to focus my energy on franchise development, people coming into the system and helping them grow. So I hired two franchise development people, one onboarding person that was experienced in franchising, first person I hired that was a franchise experienced person. And then I hired, uh, I hired more um, marketing teams because that's the lifeblood of the business. You have to get the right marketing to drive customers to all the stores. And I built and built and built. And 2000 and, uh, in 2000, I launched my scalability brand. And so in, two, in 2000, I sold 22 licenses during the pandemic. We were lucky enough to be labeled as uh, our, our, our brand was um, designated as an essential business. So we're able to stay open. Never closed the store. As a matter of fact, our store sales went up 30% during the pandemic mm -hmm. in 2020. Um, in 2021, we uh, sold, I think it was, um, we sold uh, uh, we sold uh, 78 franchise licenses. In 2022, we sold 57 franchise licenses. And then year to date in 2023, we awarded already, I think, 54 franchise licenses. So right now we have about 140-ish stores open. I'll be opening about 12 stores in the next six weeks. They're all getting ready to open. Um, and so we're just about to hit 150 plus, and we have about another 160 in development growing. So my goal is to have 300 stores open by end of 2025 and have another 300 stores open to bring it to 600 by 2028. Love the ambition and, and the drive towards achieving that. So you've opened a lot of stores in the USA. Have you expanded outside the borders of the United States? Yes, we're in four countries right now. Of course, the majority is in the United States. We also have, I believe, six stores in uh, Canada with a bunch under development. And we have uh, stores in Saudi Arabia. Uh, one store in Saudi Arabia with another one in development. And we have... Uh, one store in the UAE in Dubai with two more under development. Um, so we now have grown and I've made some partners and it was really, what was really amazing for me and I'm so excited about it is that how well our brand grew in the UAE and Saudi Arabia. I mean, people love their cars. They, they love yeah. what we do. It's very unique. And I have a broad category of services that we offer. So it really is very well embraced. <clears throat> and um, so I'm excited about that. Um, I have all kinds of videos on my YouTube channel, how I interview people in different countries and how it was for them and, and how I adapt the brand for their, you know, their, you know, their style of what's going on over there. But yeah, so we're, we're doing really well. And by the way, we're now trying to launch a master franchise license or a, a master license is somebody who in another country is what we are in the United States as the franchisor. Mm -hmm. When we launch a, um, launch a master license in another country, they become like the, the, the sub-franchisor. So they build their own you know, maybe a corporate entity store 
and maybe more if they want to, but they could also franchise out, sub-franchise out. So we train the franchisor to open a corporate store and then how to be a franchisor to launch more in their own country. And we'll be having a team of my uh, my franchise development team will be going out to um, Australia um, to be at the franchise uh, trade show. And we're looking for the right partner to help us build the brand down out there. Yeah, I love it. It's a smart move because obviously when you start going outside, you're the borders that you know so well, you then start getting into what's local knowledge. And so it sounds like a really smart move to create a sub-franchisor so that they they can focus on, you know, what are the requirements in that country and and kind of have a bit of license to drive business forward, which is uh, exciting for you. I really feel that where I was in 2006 and the way our the way we were in 2006 in the United States, where there was no, no other brand like us, um, and this still isn't right here, but we built it. I feel like in Australia, they are same way the way we were in 2007. Well, I can bring this brand there where there's really nothing else like us, and it'll scale there in the same way it did here, but a lot quicker because we built everything. We've got so much technology in the background, websites, development, uh, software systems to run our business processes, automated bookkeeping systems. So franchises don't have to spend time doing book work. It automatically comes from the point of sale within the, the bookkeeping software. We have a third-party bookkeeping company that has a small fee they charge to every franchise. and They do all the, the, the balancing of the books and, and payables of certain fees. So it allows the franchisees to focus on their customers and their employees to grow their business in multiple ways. So if you're talking to someone that wants to create their own company and set it up as a franchise model, what would be your best advice for them? Um, well, it depends. If they're looking to buy, it depends on their budget and what they love. I mean, if you're going to go and you want to buy a franchise, Find something that you love and you're passionate about. You could just, there's a lot of brands. And then, of course, you want to find there's good brands and there's not so good brands. So you have to look, you know, what not only what you love, but look at the economics of it. Is it what you can afford? Is it what's going to bring you the return on investment that you want? Is it going to allow you to own multiple stores if that's what you want? They're going to have availability in the areas that you're looking for. Once you fit those needs and you find the brand that you love, whether it be Tint World or some other brand, that's when you can start your quest. Now, if you're looking for a master franchise, it's really similar. Do you have a franchise that's going to do well in your country and that you can, same thing, do you love it? Can you scale with it? Can you afford it? And after you build it, is it going to give you the return on investment that you want? Hmm. Um, I can tell you that our franchise system is doing really well, probably one of the more profitable brands and everything that we do in all our stores are disclosed in our item 19 in FDD. Now, most franchisors don't disclose store sales, store profitability, and from first year, second year on. Um, ours, I have all the software automated into the bookkeeping, so I get the reports and everything's disclosed. So you can actually see what the average store makes in the first year, the second year, and beyond, and what the profitability is for each of these owners, um, the EBITDA of the business. So once you see that and you know that you can invest the, into the business and it's predictable, one, two, and three years, it makes people feel more comfortable. I wasn't able to do that in the earlier years, but I knew to do that and to scale, to get everybody to buy in quicker, I had to do that. So by 2020, we actually had that all systemized. And when people started seeing that, the profitability more so than any other franchise for that, for that I haven't found anyone that's more profitable for the investment. Um, and with that, it's predictable. Within two to three years, you're pretty much getting your whole return on investment back. Um, after that, it's just growth. So when you uh, get to a point where someone's reading out your eulogy, which I, I imagine is as many decades away, uh, what do you want them to read out about your legacy that you leave on this world, your footprint on this world? What would you like that to be? You know, I probably wouldn't think it'd be much different than what I am right now. I mean, people know who I am. I, I My franchisees, um, whether they're in the system or if they've sold and they're left the system, they're going to tell you he's a guy that really cares about your growth almost sometimes more than you do. And he's going to work harder than anybody ever going to see. I'm in here in my office 5.30 every morning before my team gets in by 8 and 9 o'clock, depending on the, the team. 
And um, it gives me my creative time to uh, evolve the system and grow different things. As a franchisee first, I know that every quarter I have to show something new, something technically or visually improvements of the system. So they know I'm always working for them and our team is always working for them. I don't ever get complacent where it's good enough. I always want to make it better. And um, I always want to level up. I'm always caring about same store sales growth for franchisees and profitability. Those are the things that are important to me. Money was never the reason why I did this. I did it because I wanted to build the business, the brand that I always loved and dreamed of. And I knew if I built it, others would love it too. You're one of the most passionate business owners I have met, which I really enjoy. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? For the first time? I think everything I do is a first for the most part. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't have experience. Um, so we just uh, give you a, a new thing. So the first time, um, I was trying to, we have a web store that we built for our franchisees so they can actually sell products online, but they really weren't loving it. Um, not that it wasn't good, but like when they come to the store, they get to quote their prices, work with their customers, upsell, cross-sell. But when it's on a website, people pick and choose what they want and they have no choice to deal with them. And my franchisees like me are passionate about the brand. So like, no, 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 you can make appointments and you can give pricing, but let me sell it. So I'm like, but I really want to get people to be able to buy things and services online and schedule them. So, but I couldn't get everybody to feel that way. So either I could just jam it down their throat like most franchise companies do, or I can think of another way. So what did I do? I thought about it and I went with my wife to a, a restaurant, not too long, a fast food restaurant. It was a steak and shake or something. And we went in and there was nobody taking our order. There was a kiosk. And so I could order my own hamburger. I can... I can customize it with or without mayo or lettuce and I can go to the next thing and I can choose if I want fries, a small one or a big one, what kind of shake or so. And I checked out and I'm like, hmm, that's if I build a kiosk for my brand and I put that in the store, my franchisees will be more comfortable seeing customers come into the store and self-order without having to sell them. And if they get used to that, then they would let me put it on the website so they can self-order on the website. But I'll start with the store. So we started last August building it, and we launched the first, the first run of it um, of the kiosk system uh, in February. And at our, our franchise annual convention in uh, Orlando, Florida, um, by Disney, we um, we launched our our um, kiosk to show the franchisees to see how well it was going to get received. And they were so blown away. When can I get one? When is it going to come in? So I'm excited about launching that program that's coming up uh, really soon. By year end, we'll have the whole complete thing built out. We built that several categories to make sure they work. And now we're just going through, we have 16 categories of services that we have to build into the system, whether it's you know tint or paint protection film or vehicle wraps or, or color change or car audio and all that has to be built in the system. So once that's finished, which by fourth quarter it will be, I'll be rolling that out to the franchisees for self-ordering in the stores. Uh, and that'll allow people to do that. And then once they're comfortable with that, I can roll that right into our franchise website when they're comfortable and I win them over. So it's winning them over, not telling them what to do. That's all about franchising. Smart. What is the one question that you would love to solve? One question I'd love to solve. Let me think. Um, I don't really have a specific question. I mean, there's anything that I want to solve, I'm going to solve. But I guess it's just a matter of coming in and finding new ways to grow my franchisees. And now it's time that I'm growing really well and my team is starting to take on what I'm, I'm doing, I'm creating and they're doing it. So now we're starting to build other brands. So one of the things that we have done is we built, um, we, we're doing a lot of these cars and coffee meets. People seem to love them. And so it's getting out with the communities. And so I had a franchisee, very big one. He bought like five stores. He has four open. He's opened the, the fifth one very soon. And he's a really smart guy. And his wife, when they were younger, used to be a barista in a, in a coffee shop. So he want, she wanted to open up a coffee shop. And he says, you know what? I don't really want to do that alone. I have a building for a tip world that's big enough to put a coffee shop. So he called me up. He says, can I put one in the business? I said, let me think about that. 
So I created the brand and I trademarked the name around the world called Cars Cafe. And we made a Cars Cafe barista coffee shop right inside his Tint World franchise. <clears throat> and he's finding that people are now coming and visiting more frequently because you got to drink coffee every day, right? And so they're coming in. And while they're there, a, a large, large percent of these people are booking their appointments for car detailing and ceramic coating and vehicle wraps. And they're coming in. And when they come in, they get to hang around cars and coffee. And they see these cool Lamborghinis and Ferraris as well as everyday cars being customized. So it's a really interesting thing. There's windows looking into the bays, watching the, the, the uh, employees do all the work. It's very interesting um, to watch them tint the cars and stuff. So that's becoming very good. Um, and so we just are now rolling that to other to other franchises. Once we get enough of them going in our existing franchises, we might even roll it out to the Cars Cafe coffee shop, Cars Cafe drive throughs because it's really an event-driven program where people want to come there and celebrate cars and coffee. And I really only like fun businesses. I like fun businesses. I like profitable businesses. That's what I like. And that's what I'm building. And Cars Cafe, I believe, is the next one we're building. The other thing we're doing is we're now really focusing on, we've always offered it. We offered uh, window tinting for homes and office buildings, as well as we do some marine you know, boats and stuff. But now I'm really, I'm, I'm separating the division so I can really have a separate set of team members that work on home services, division where we're going out and we're doing solar window film on homes and office buildings and decorative films and all these really cool things. So that's another fun uh, thing to do. And that's going to be scaling. That could actually double same store sales um, just by having the, the trucks on the road while customers come in. They love what we do. We feel they're going to love the same thing on doing their homes. And it benefits them because within two to three years, the investment pays for itself when you tend the home with the savings on the electric or the heating and cooling bills. And that's where everything's going now, sustainable future, protecting the homes, the drapery from fading, the floor interiors from fading, protecting the people, security film on windows so people can't break in. A lot of really cool things that we're doing and now we're launching that and we're gonna be running it through our whole system. I just hired a very high level, um, high level uh, a COO that's gonna run that division. <clears throat> and he's, um, <clears throat> he uh, wouldn't you know it, the company that bought Meineke uh, is called Driven Brands. And they, that's basically they created a holding company, Driven Brands, that buys all these multiple brands. So they bought Meineke and Mako and, you know, Take Five Oil Change and Take Five Car Wash. The guy who was running all of those recently left there. He came to work for me and he's going to be running the home service division and launching that in a big way over the next year. So that's a new uh, section that we're adding on to Titworld to help our franchisees grow even further and support our customers that want these services. It's uh, still a niche, so we're going to be capturing that market really, qu really quickly. For you, what is an inspiring great leader and who is a great example of this for you? I mean, there's a lot of great leaders out there. Everybody in their own way has their own way of delivering it. Um, I don't have a particular one uh, person. I read a lot of uh, books based on history. History usually tells what what experience were happening and what's growing. And then I read a lot of new books. I love technology. I love automating processes and systems. Right now, when we're in the process of potentially buying our own and building our own software, um, because I can't seem to find any software company that wants to build everything that I want to do. So whenever I get stumped and they're saying, no, I really can't do that or I don't want to do that or I I'm just done with that. So right now I'm working with uh, a company for an acquisition to build our own software that will have a whole ecosystem of doing point of sale, uh, you know, marketing, uh, customer data, warehousing. So I have all the customer data. Um, right now we're using a lot of data of our existing customers and there's something that's called mosaic data. So we find who our best customers are, meaning that, what identity do they have? And then we're doing lookalikes so we can put them all over the country and find out where they live and where's the best places for us to open up a store to be successful and enjoy our services even more quicker. So I can know it's like almost like predictable success. So these are the kind of systems that I do. There's no one player. Everybody's got their little flavor on what they do well. I just try to learn who's doing the best things, why are they good, and I can incorporate those into my own growth. It's been uh, fascinating talking with you. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? 
Um, if people want to connect with me personally, usually LinkedIn is a way to go. I'm pretty popular on there. I just like to post things that my successes of my franchisees, whether it's videos or images or stores or openings. So that's one way to do it. But if you really want to learn about franchising with Tint World, you would go to tintworldfranchise.com. You can download the franchise kit and learn a little bit more about it. If you want, you can schedule an appointment online there and schedule a time that's available so you can have a 15, 20 minute talk. One of my franchise development managers, it's not any kind of a hard sell because we're not selling anything. We're offering opportunities. If you want to know about it, you speak to one of our, our customer service people. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, and if you want to know about our product and service, go to tipworld.com. We do automotive, residential, commercial, marine. We're pretty well um, laid out everything that we offer. So it gives you a really good breadth of information of if this is right for you. Um, and so that's about learning about who I am, what our company does, and if you're interested in franchising. Beautiful. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Charles. Uh, I, I love the passion that you bring and the tenacity and drive that you have to go after something you really, really love and you're fascinated by. And it, it's just wonderful hearing all your successes along the way and, and learnings as well. You, you seem like a very humble person, but very driven who is always looking to figure out how can you help other people be successful as a business owner um, through the franchisee model. Uh, and so all the best for your continued growth throughout the world and launching into Australia later this year. So thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much. It's been, um, it's for almost a second. It's been, it's been great being on here, Greg. Uh, I really appreciate your hospitality and inviting me on the show and be able to uh, tell my story um, to people who maybe it'll inspire for their own lives. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.